We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to John chapter 10. And I'd like to share with you uh, something that wasn't really planned until this morning. Um, I was all ready for my study out of the Gospel of Luke. And then uh, I was kind of praying about this, but the Lord really, I I think, confirmed to me the fact that uh, we need to address this whole issue of what took place this last week in Aurora, Colorado. You know, you guys know me. I'm not a sensationalist. I'm not an individual who will be easily moved out of where we are in our text. But, you know, this is something that um, I think that we as a nation, we as a congregation need to learn from. You know, this past Friday morning, midnight moviegoers who had walked into a theater for a dark fantasy were confronted with an even darker reality as a 24-year-old man named James Holmes opened fire in Aurora, Colorado. We know now that 12 are dead. It was a total of 70 that were injured, some still in critical condition. And to the best of our knowledge, this is the largest kind of tragedy, calamity in our nation's history of this nature. You know, so we're watching it on the news and maybe you're reading it in the newspapers and, and, you know, maybe people are forming a a lot of opinions. You know, I have more questions probably than I do answers, but there are a few things that I think we learn as a nation, at least we should anyways, from such tragedies. There are truths to take away and today I just kind of want to share some of those things with you and, and, and hopefully we can tuck them away in our heart and hopefully we can learn and pray and grow as a nation and, and even maybe even as a congregation. And, and the first thing we see here in John chapter 10, notice what it says in verse 10, just the first part. It says the thief, and that's speaking of the devil. The thief does not come except to kill, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the and one thing I want to... You know, I want you guys to know, I know some of you here as Christians, you know this. Most of the world doesn't really know this. They don't connect the dots. But we need to know this, that the agenda of the devil is death. That's the agenda of our enemy. You know, Jesus uh, said something similar in John chapter 8, verse 44, speaking to these men who were wicked by heart. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do, he was a murderer from the beginning. You see, a lot of times, you know, we downplay these things. You know, maybe you got, you know, a sticker on your on your car. Have you guys ever seen them on the freeway? You know, a good angel and a bad angel. You know, we think that's funny. We think that's cute. Maybe you mess around with a little fortune-telling, a little palm-reading, a little Satanism, a little uh, a Ouija board or whatever it might be, a little drugs ain't no thing, you know, but a chicken wing. You're messing with the devil, and you've got to know that when you mess with the devil, you are dancing with death because his agenda is to kill you. And so, you know, it may start with a little bit of cigarettes, but believe you me, that is just to, you know, tie a noose around your neck. One day you're drinking, then it's the drugs. Next thing it's the crystal meth. Next thing you know, you're dead. It's an overdose. 
You know, the agenda of the devil is not just to trip you up. Some people think, well, the devil, you know, he's kind of cool. He's kind of fun. You know, we party together. One day I'm going to be in hell. I'm going to party with the devil. Let me tell you something, man. It's not fun. And, and whenever you go that way, whenever you mess around with those places of darkness, you've got to understand that his agenda is just an agenda of death. You know, I was watching an interview last night of one of the survivors. And he said that after he'd been shot, he fell to the ground and the gunman came close to him. He said literally he was six inches away from him. And he could just feel all the shells falling on his body. I think he even said that his foot was on top of him. And he thought for sure he was going to die. But the survivor said that as he was firing those rounds, that he could sense, he could feel the darkness that was just emanating, the evil, the wickedness that was emanating from this man. And, that's, and, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, just James Holmes. It, it was the devil. It was the, the darkness of the demonic realm. And we have to understand that. That's why the, you know, when you look at, at teens and how they die, the third most frequent form of them dying is suicide. Because the devil just comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal you from God. Die, somehow die, kill yourself, and then destroy you forever. That's his agenda. It's real clear. Jesus laid it out in John 10.10. The devil is so bad, not only does he use people to kill others, and he loves that, he often confuses people to kill themselves, and he loves that even more. If you're here today and you're contemplating suicide, you ever thought those thoughts, I would venture to say in a crowd this size that there are people who think those things. Please understand that is from the devil. Because his agenda, the first thing we see, and I pray that we would understand this whole darkness, this whole thing, is that he has an agenda of death. Okay? The second thing I think we need to learn is that... <laughs> And I know this sounds kind of weird, but you've got to understand that one of the vessels of the devil, one of the instruments of wickedness is the media. The media. You know, I read one article entitled, Shooting at Colorado Theater Shocks Movie Industry. And it said that the movie industry was grappling on Friday with the deadly Colorado shooting at a midnight screening of The Dark Knight Rises as one of the most anticipated films of the decade became enmeshed with a horrifying tragedy. They said they were saddened and they extended their prayers and deepest sympathies to the families. You know, the movie industry, (laughs) the movie industry said they were shocked. You know, something that's rather ironic about this whole thing is maybe you heard this, that along with The Dark Knight Rising, Warner Brothers is also releasing a movie called Gangster Squad, which includes a scene where mobsters enter a movie theater firing guns. So why does it surprise the makers of a dark movie when dark things happen? Why does it shock the producers of violent movies when violent things happen? You know, we've clearly and yet tragically lost our spiritual compass, even our moral compass as a country. 
And even as a world where we now pay good money to entertain ourselves with the poison of violence and seduction and murder and mayhem and demons and death and sex and nudity and nonsense, and we follow the lies of Lucifer. You know, for us, we've got to understand that, that the devil has an agenda. It's this agenda of death. And, you know, it's this instrument, we've got to understand, learn, we've got to learn from this, that, you know, a lot of times those instruments and those weapons of unrighteousness are the media that we are enmeshed in. You know, for those of you who've seen some of these video games that are very violent, it starts there, and we program our children at a young age with the poison of this world. You know, you guys probably heard this guy who killed everybody, he dyed his hair red. He called himself what? The Joker. Death. Why would you identify with that? Where do you think he got that idea? Oh, a movie he saw, right? He heartlessly, ruthlessly, violently murdered innocent people. And we know where he got the ideas. You know, the movie industry shouldn't be shocked. They should be held responsible. And we, as Christians, especially for those of you here who name the name of Christ, should not support such movies. Movies of murder and propagation and profanity, lies and sex and wickedness. A lot of us here, a lot of the Christian world, you have blood on your hands because you go see these movies. That's the bottom line. Oh, it's the movie industry. True. But it's also the the nation. It's also the Christians. It might be you. It might be me. You know, I'm not saying that all movies are bad. To be honest with you, I like movies. I like going to the movies. You know, some of those good movies, you know, they just, I don't know. They say that you go to the movies to escape. I, I don't know if that's true or not. That's probably not a good thing. But there are some movies that are cool, and I like the popcorn even though it costs $27 and, you know, (laughs) the candy. I don't know. There's something about that, that whole thing. But here's the thing, you know, is that we need to, we just, we need, we need to be like a little, a lot, a lot smarter, a lot wiser, a lot more spiritual in the, in the movies that we, we choose to see. You know, I want to encourage you because I, I don't want to be legalistic and tell you, you can never go to Edwards or AMC again. But at the same time, I want to encourage you, I want to beg you that before you go see any movie, don't go by the ratings of the world. Well, it's PG-13, therefore it's probably pretty good. I've seen you know, a lot of crazy things in those PG-13 movies. You've got to find out. You are accountable. You are accountable if you're supporting those things. There's a really good website, Plugged In. Pluggedin.com, really good website. And it'll tell you all the violence. It'll tell you all the spiritual elements of the movie. It'll tell you all the the positives. It'll tell you all the negatives. It'll tell you even to the details of all the profanity within that movie. You know, or it has one S word. And there's two exclamations of the B word and the BT word and the H word. Pops up close to a dozen times. And then God's name is mixed up with the D word once. And Jesus' name is abused twice. And you're like, well, that's not too bad. That's how some Christians are. That was Batman. That was those words. That was those were the words in Batman. 
And I would say that if you don't want your children saying it, then don't pay money for someone else to say it to them and to plant it in their little hearts. If you would, go over to Matthew 6. In Matthew chapter 6, look what Jesus says in verse 22. He says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's basically saying that, you know, and I know this is a kind of a complex verse right here, but, you know, in, in one way, the the application is you got to watch what you're looking at. you gotta, you got to screen ever so carefully what you let into your heart. And if your eyes are bad and you're watching that wickedness and evil, even though they're the bad guys, oh, Batman doesn't use a gun. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't, and he's a good, and he wins in the end. But you subject yourself to all that wickedness in the meantime. Then your eyes are bad. And if your eyes are bad, then your whole body is bad. And your heart is bad. And maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I didn't know that. Well, now you do. Now you do. And you must be a holy people as Christians. And it's not just, you know, in the movies. It's not just in Hollywood, man. It comes into our own house, right? Big time. There's no shame there. And that's why we have to guard what we look at. Really cool verse. If you don't already have it on top of your television, then put it there. Psalm 101 verse 3. Write that down, please. Psalm 101 verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. As a matter of fact, go over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and, and, and look what it says in verse 8. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's what we should be taking in, you guys. You know, the, right now we're talking about um, the Twinkies. They're in the back room. And uh, <laughs> did you guys know that they have uh, chocolate Twinkies? Well, they're Twinkies with chocolate inside. Did you guys know that? And it, it was kind of funny, and it just kind of struck me. Uh, you know, they also sell, like, those fried Twinkies. You guys ever had that? Now, does that sound? I mean, it's crazy, huh? Okay, and then one person said it's good, but it's not good for you. It's good, but it's not good for you. How, isn't that, doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? It's good, but it's not good for you. Oh, okay, it's good tasting, but it's not good for you. You want to know why it's good tasting? Because you jacked yourself up already, man. You've developed an appetite for junk. Junk. Food and that and that can happen in when in the intake of our heart. Yeah, but I like these 
violent movies with uh, zombies and, and blood and violence and, you know, horror and, you know, killing. And, and it's like, dude, you're, you, you, why? How did that happen? Well, it's because we have two natures. We have the good nature, the bad nature, and your bad nature is dominating your life. As Christians, we should meditate on the things that are pure and lovely and noble and just and of good report. Start having a spiritual diet like that, and you will see your life transformed. But we as a nation, you know, not only in our, in our, in our, in our physical appetites, but in our, in our emotional, our spiritual appetites, man, we are dying, you guys. Romans 12, I know you know the verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, I'm telling you this right now, and this doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out, that the enemy has an agenda of death, and one of his instruments of death and wickedness that will ruin us is the media. And we see that, and we'll talk more about that as we continue our study today. But we need to learn this. I pray that you would learn this. Don't go see those movies. If you do, you've got blood on your hands, and you're a compromising Christian. Thirdly, let's learn this, that life is a vapor. Let's go over to James chapter 4. And notice what it says here in James 4. In verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. What he's basically saying is, um, you know, we don't know how long we're going to live. Oh, tomorrow we're going to Knott's Berry Farm. Want to come? Cool. No, God says, don't do it that way. Don't say it that way. Say, tomorrow, Lord willing, we're going to Knott's Berry Farm because I don't know if I will be alive tomorrow. You know, and even when I leave my house, man, sometimes I'll give my wife a, a kiss on the cheek and I'll say, Lord willing, I'll see you later. I might not see her later. Because that's the way life works. We never know. No man has tomorrow guaranteed. And that's why we need to seize the day. Seize the day for many reasons. You know, seize the day with your husband and wife and your children and your family and your friends. Be filled with life because we don't know how long this life will be. You know, we know that those that died in this tragedy, the youngest was six years old. I don't know what she was doing there at midnight, but six years old to 51 years old. You know, and some of you are thinking, well, 51, yeah, that, that's old. You know, by then, yeah, it's, I don't even... <laughs> no, it's young, okay? Anyways, but most of the people that died were in their 20s, right? Most of them that died were in their 20s. You know, and so you're here in your 20s, you're thinking, I ain't going to die. I got my whole life ahead of me. You don't know. 
You don't know, and that's one of the lessons that we learn. As a matter of fact, uh, the people that passed away, I'm sure none of them thought, let's go to the theater so that we might die today. No, it doesn't enter your thoughts. Usually, unless you're a Christian who's in tune with the Holy Spirit, understanding that every single day, every single moment is a gift from God. And you live your life in light of that. There may have been one gal who understood that this day was a gift. If you remember, one of the gals that understood was Jessica Gawi, if that's not if that's her name, 24 years old. And according to this article right here, it says that she was a rising sportcaster, an enthusiastic blogger. And she says right here, Gawi narrowly missed a shooting scene where two died at the Eaton Center Mall in Toronto earlier this summer. Gawi blogged about how the experience made her freshly aware of the fragility of life. I like that. Freshly aware of the, how, how fragile life is. I like that. And then she went on to say, I was reminded that we don't know when or where our time on earth will end. When or where we will breathe our last breath. And that's one of the lessons that, that we have to learn. You know, and I think that it will give us not only a quality of life, but a quantity of life, an everlasting life. You know, when they were there on the floor and the, 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 the shots were sounding, I heard this guy say and this guy say and this guy say, I was praying. I was praying. One guy said, I was repenting of my sins. <laughs> and I was praying, Right? And we have to understand that. But why, why do you have to be in a theater on the floor hearing gunshots to realize that you know, today might be my last day? These are things that we have to learn. I pray that we would know that the devil has an agenda of death. Don't go his way. Don't link up with Lucifer. We need to know, secondly, that one of his great instruments of wickedness is the media, the movies, and other things. Be so careful. Please don't subject your heart, you Christians, to that wickedness. And then thirdly, we need to understand that that life is a vapor. That we don't have tomorrow guaranteed. Let us live now for the Lord. I think the fourth thing that we learn in this whole tragedy is that we need to learn to reach out. We do. Number one, we need to reach out to our children. And then number two, we need to reach out, you know, to to everyone. You know, when they called the mom and they said, you know, this has happened. You know what she said? You got the right guy. Now, I'm not blaming it on her. God knows. That's between her and the Lord. But there are some parents who should be blamed. Because they have neglected their children. They, they don't reach out to them when they're young. They're too busy to spend time with them. And a lot of times, you know, and I know it's a two-way street. You're saying, hey, you should call me. You're still the mom. You're still the dad. You're still the parent. Reach out to them. You would be surprised and to discover how much they need your love and your wisdom. And I think we learn this, and I I think that we have neglected this as a society, parenting. 
I mean, other than husband and wife parenting, there's no greater role or responsibility. But here we are in a single generation. Society has shifted from a family-centered life to a media-centered existence. I mean, it used to be parents and family were the greatest influence. Now we need babysitters. Here, go play this game and go watch this movie. And so now what ends up happening, the average young adult today spends seven hours and 38 minutes a day absorbed in screen time. And that's on their phone, on their computer, on their television. It's called screen time. Think about that. Seven hours and 38 minutes a day, the average young adult. Where's mom and dad? Well, what we see is that the average mom spends 14 minutes with her children a day alone. And the average father spends five minutes a day alone with his children. And so, who is influencing our children? This ungodly world. And we as parents, in many ways, oh, I love them. I love them. Oh, yes, I love them. I love them. Do you? We have to really check our hearts. American households with teenage children watch an average of 59 hours of cable and networking programming a week. Preschoolers watch an average of more than 28 hours each week, more than four hours a day. Think about that, a preschooler. And, and, and each year, this is crazy, each year your teenagers absorb more than 15,000 sexual references every single year with hardly any of them referring to abstinence or sexually transmitted diseases. And so uh, how many days in a year? 365 days in a year? Okay, think about this, you guys. 15,000 sexual references. Why? Because they have a TV in their bedroom. Nobody's watching. Right? We find that um, in America today, 68% of 8 to 18-year-olds have a TV in their room. 49% have video games in their room. And they're watching all these sexual innuendos. And that's why we find that now the average girl loses her virginity at 14 years old. And it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that there, you know, this influence of what we're watching, it then infiltrates into all the hearts of the children. And that's what they're doing. And I was asking my daughter, is this a reflection of society or is it an influence of society? And there's no doubt about it. I mean, the gay agenda. Think about the gay agenda. How they are propagating their beliefs through the movie industry. And they're transforming our country. Now, in the, in the hearts of our, our, our teenagers, of your young children, their heroes are these movie stars without morality. Sometimes it's the sports figures. He gets a whole bunch of home runs, and that makes him a counselor for my child. I don't think so. We know that today our teens are getting hit so hard. So many of them are taking their own life. Even husbands and wives, 64% of them spend more time on their computer than they do with their spouse. You know, in today's generation, it's no longer the parents, teachers, and pastors who are serving as the agents of socialization. It's the actors, the singers, and the athletes with attitude, the entertainers. And what are they teaching our children? I mean, among other things, you want to know one of the things they're teaching our children? That the applause of man is more desirable than the 
applause of God. A study found today, and this is just another, another just bombshell that we as parents and children need to be aware of. It's that, 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 that media, that, that social media. And you know, I, I use Facebook and I use text messaging, but you need to be really mature to allow your children to enter into that virtual reality because it's a dangerous place. It really is. A 2011 study found that today's children are happier with their online lives than they are with reality. How many of those statistics would decrease if parents were more involved with and aware of their children's online personas? Children should not need to look to high-risk strangers in order to find meaningful relationships. They should be able to find those meaningful relationships at home. The bottom line is, if we don't embrace what God intends to inspire us, then we will eventually embrace what the devil intends to destroy us. And he's killing us. He's killing our children. He's ruining their lives. Sometimes I, I don't know about you guys, but maybe for those of you who are, are kind of old fogies like me, you, you know, you talk to some of these kids sometimes, not not yours, but some of them out there, and I'm like, man. It's like, there's like a glare. There's a book I read recently. It's called Numb. Our, our children are numb. And we need to really ask God, Lord, help us with these things. I know you're busy. I know you're busy, but if you're too busy for your children, then you need to take radical spiritual surgery into your life and cut it out. Cut out what needs to be cut out. We need to learn to reach out to our children. We need to, to learn to, to reach out to all. Remember the two great commandments. First one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Let's love God. And then secondly, he said, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, and we're, we're hearing these things and, you know, stories are surfacing about this young man, 24 years old, and you know he's got his neighbor underneath and she was kind of upset that he was bumping the loud music at a certain time, right? And then, you know, other neighbors here and there, some in San Diego, some there in Aurora, Colorado. And, and, I, and I just wonder, sometimes I wonder, did any of those neighbors, did any of those neighbors reach out to him? And, and I don't know, maybe some did, maybe some didn't. I'm talking to you now, Christians. We need to reach out to our neighbors. A neighbor is the one that we live next to. A neighbor is the one that crosses our paths, that God brings into our life. And we need to reach out to them because who knows if a Christian would have reached out to this young man, maybe this whole thing would have been avoided and rather than death, there would be life. You know, if I was to go knock on the door of your neighbor, because you did something crazy. Hopefully you would never do that, but let's just say it happened. Or let's just say they did something crazy, and so they knock on your door. Let's do a positive example in one sense. And so, hey, you know, did you know so-and-so? They're right next door to you. You're like, no, we said hi <laughs> every once in a while. No. They're your neighbor. Well, I know times are different. Some of you guys that are older, you're like, it wasn't that way when we were younger. We used to hang out play kickball together, barbecue. But it's just different now. What's different now? What's different now? We are different now. 
And we need to reach out to our neighbors. You know, every once in a while we'll go next door and we'll give them cookies. Try to bribe them to come to church. There's more where that came from, you know. Or <laughs> give them a DVD. Give them an invitation to church service. Whatever it is. You know, there's this young guy that's been coming around. Actually, he's not that young. He's probably about my age now. I've never seen him sober. In the four years that he's been coming around, and I've seen him just dozens of times, I've never seen him sober. But I've been praying for him and praying for him and praying for him. And I told Henry, if we ever see this man sober, I mean, I would love to talk to him. And then yesterday he showed up sober for the first time in four years. And so we went and we hung out and we talked. And who is it that God's bringing into your life? Who do you need to reach out to? See, I think these are some of the things that we learn. You know, they say that this guy was a loner. And it just breaks your heart. See, we need to learn that death is the agenda of the devil. Don't mess with him. We need to learn the influence of the media. It's a real, real strong influence of wickedness. We need to learn that life is a vapor. We need to learn to reach out to people. But then the last thing is this. I think we learn that God can even use these bad things for good, huh? And then suddenly there's a unity. Suddenly there's a community. Suddenly people are praying. Suddenly people are thinking that, you know what, I, I, I might not live forever. You know, and God can take these bad things and use them for good. You know, even in the middle of that whole thing, you know, one of the things, one of the stories that really gripped my heart was the story of Jonathan Blunk. He was 26 years old and he died there that night. But in the, in, the, in the process of dying, what he did, one of the gals said this, that she survived the shooting after this young man, who was a Navy veteran and a father of two, shielded her from the bullets by lying on top of her. See, this can bring out the best in us if we'll do the right thing. You guys... You know, I don't know where you are in all your, you know, personal convictions and things like that. You might want to justify it by saying it's okay for me to use the, you know, the F word or profanities or whatever it is. You, you don't need to go that low. You don't need to do that. As a matter of fact, you must not do that. We can't fight, you know, this carnal world with carnal weapons. You know, and I know everybody's doing it. Well, you're like, well, he's a right-on Christian and he's doing it. Well, remember this. God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't. He grades on the standards of righteousness. And Proverbs 4.23, it says, protect your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. And if you want good things to come out of your heart and your, your, your mouth and, and your life, then you've got to put good things in. It doesn't matter if the whole world is going the wrong way, even the whole church. We've got to repent. Oh, it's just violence. Just violence. Tell that to the Father who lost his 27-year-old son 
on his birthday, and he's just about to celebrate his year anniversary as he's crying in anguish. Ah, it's just violence. No big deal. Man, we've lost our moral compass. You pay money to go see that? We are what we eat. So we need to really guard our hearts, you guys. And we need to take a stand. And I pray that we as a church would understand that, you know, we can make a difference. You know, out of this Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you intended this for evil, but God will use it for good. And God's going to change my life. God will change your life if we let him. You know, I think that when we see that whole story of the epitome of how something evil can be used for good, we find it primarily in the cross of Jesus Christ, huh? Where Jesus Christ died for our sins. And it's the most wicked event in the history of mankind. But it's also the most glorious event. Because there on that cross where Jesus died, all your sins were placed on him. And what we find is that if you place your faith in Jesus, if you turn from your sins, and you just trust Jesus, then you will be saved. Wasn't that a cool song we sang earlier? You can take the whole world, man. You can take all the good movies <laughs> if you want to. Just give me Jesus, right? Let me close with one more story. It's a story that you're probably familiar with, but I love it. It's about a guy named Telemachus. And he was a monk who lived in Asia Minor about the year 400 AD. And during his lifetime, gladiatorial games were very popular in Rome. The gladiators were often slaves of political prisoners who were condemned to fight each other unto death for the amusement of the spectators. The sight of the blood and gore on the arena floor just fascinated people. But this monk, Telemachus, was very disturbed that the emperor, Aronius, who was a Christian, sponsored the games and that many people who called themselves Christians went to see them. What, he wondered, could be further from the spirit of Christ than the cruelty of these gladiator games? The bishops and priests spoke against them, but most people were deaf to their message. Well, Telemachus realized that talking about the evil was no longer enough, but he wondered what he could accomplish. One lone monk amongst the whole Roman Empire. He had no power, and the games had been part of an established structure in the Roman society. Well, one day in prayer... Telemachus sensed that the Holy Spirit was encouraging him to leave his community and go to Rome, which at that time was the metropolis at the center of the greatest empire the world had ever known. When Telemachus arrived in Rome, he was caught up into a celebration of a recent victory by the Roman legions over the Goths. As a part of a holiday festival, a circus was being staged for the jubilant multitudes. Telemachus didn't know exactly where he was going in Rome, but he allowed himself to be swept away along the crowds and he found himself soon enough in the Colosseum in the circus. When the crowds arrived at the Colosseum, they began to get excited by the sounds of the lions roaring their challenge and the gladiators preparing for combat. Telemachus followed the crowd into the Colosseum and there, to his horror, 
He was confronted with callous, gut-wrenching carnage. Gladiators fought one another to death. They slaughtered their hapless foes without pity. Here it is, as entertainment for the bloodthirsty crowds. Telemachus felt he had to do something. He just had to do something. He simply couldn't stand by while human beings were being beheaded and disemboweled and dismembered before his very eyes. And so he ran down the steps of the stands and he leapt into the arena. And he began darting back and forth between the fighters crying, Stop! Stop! In the name of Christ, I beg you, stop! When the crowd saw the scrawny figure, at first they thought he was a clown, a bit of a comic relief, and they roared their approval. But as time went on, some of the people in the crowd began to hear what that mad monk was saying. And more and more they came to realize that Telemachus was actually trying to spoil their fun. Then they turned against him, hissed and booed, and bellowing at the top of their voices for his quick dispatch. And so the gladiators lunged at the monk with thrusts of their swords, and the audience buried him under a hailstorm of projectiles and stones. When the fear was over, Telemachus lay dead in the middle of the arena. During the silence that followed his death, it was as if the monk's last cry then began to rise. It began to echo through the arena. Stop, stop, in the name of Christ, I beg you, stop. Telemachus died, but not in vain. His work was accomplished the moment he was struck down. The shock of his death changed the hearts of the crowd And then they saw the hideous aspects of this vice to which they had surrendered themselves. And so Emperor Heronius issued an edict that day forbidding all future gladiator fights. You may be here and you think, well, I'm only one man. What a difference. What difference can I make? That's how it all starts. It starts with one. It starts with you. It starts with me. You know, learning that the devil, his agenda is death. But Jesus said in John 10.10, on the contrary, but I've come that they may have life and that more abundantly. And so you begin to rescue people from death by pointing them to Jesus Christ. And you learn You know, you learn all these things that I must guard myself. What do I put in my heart through the music and the movies that I'm engaging in? And you learn, you know, all these things. You begin to learn that life is a vapor. You begin to learn to reach out to your children and to others. You begin to take a stand. And what ends up happening, man, is that that one life, your life, your life, and then affects your children, then affects their friends, and then affects the whole wide world. I just pray, you guys, that we would learn from this tragedy. And God has that amazing ability to take what we would consider to be a tragedy and transform it into a triumph, especially if you don't know Jesus here today. If you haven't 100 I'm talking, you know, not messing around anymore. Not one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You'll be a miserable person. 
if you haven't fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then let this be the day. Now, what's it going to take? You know, Jonathan Laurie, I don't know if you guys saw his testimony, you know, but he was Greg Laurie's son. Long story, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of uh, rebelliousness. He couldn't tell his parents, really. He would tell his brother Christopher, hey, Christopher, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. His brother Christopher would say, you got to get right, you got to get accountable, you got to go to church. What's it going to take? What's it going to take? What's it going to take? And then finally one day, well, Jonathan is at work. Police officer comes. He says, you need to go home. He goes home. And he finds out that his brother Christopher has died. So he goes into his room. He gets on his knees. And he gives his life to Jesus Christ. His brother had to die to bring him to that point. Man, I pray that you and I would learn from this. Is that what it's going to take? No. God loves you. God died for you. Please, don't let it get to that. Give your life 100% to Jesus Christ today. And Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to just to study your word, Lord, we thank you that you are a great and awesome God and our hearts just go out to the family, Father. I can't even begin to imagine what a father would feel. And yet I've got my own work to do, Lord. Help me as a dad. Help my children, my wife. Help us. Help us, Lord, to look up to you and just to learn from these tragedies, Lord, so that part of it is kind of like so that the devil will not win, but you will win, Lord. We thank you that you are an awesome God, and we do worship you and pray that as a body of believers, Lord, as Christians here today, that we would take these things and that we would just... Use them for your glory. Thank you for being such an awesome God. You truly are an awesome God. Your word says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy, joy comes in the morning, Lord. And so we even want to close the service today by worshiping you by faith, knowing, Lord, that you are worthy to be praised. Thank you, Lord, so much. And we pray together in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.